0: Amen. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Well, happy Easter. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. You guys are a good-looking group today. It is a joy to see you. It's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to worship on this day that celebrates the greatest event in the history of mankind, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we look at the resurrection this morning, as we think about our risen Savior today, I hope that it brings great joy to your heart, an amazement to your mind as you think about the power of the resurrection. The empty tomb changes everything. An old country preacher said it this way, that tomb is empty, there's no bones about it. I like that. Today as we think about the resurrection, I want us to look at it from the perspective of one of the disciples, Thomas one who has been labeled with an unfortunate moniker. For 2,000 years, his name has been synonymous with what word? Doubting. 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 Doubting Thomas. And I think as we look at him, we can learn some faith lessons together. So I invite your attention to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And I want us to think about... This idea of the resurrection because of its importance. And I want you to hear this, especially those of you who are guests of ours today. There have been a lot of people praying for you today. I've been praying for you today. In fact, this will sound like a strange statement. I've been praying for me today. I've been praying that my words would not get in the way of the truth of the message that I would in no way cloud things, but would reveal and help you to see with clarity that the tomb is empty. And so it is so vitally important for us to to think about these things, to focus on these things this morning. In a moment we'll come to our text in John chapter 20, but I want to ask you a question. How many of you, when you were growing up or even in more recent years, have ever been to a county fair? How many of you have ever been to a state fair? How many of you have not yet raised your hand? Anybody? Okay, good. I just want to make sure we covered everybody. Well, what did you do when you went to the county fair? You did all the things that you do at one of those fairs. You walked down the midway and you look at the games. Maybe you rode a ride somewhere. You probably did a little people watching. That's always fun to just watch because there's some strange birds that show up there at the county fair. You probably ate something fried on a stick. You know, I mean, that's just what we do. America. I mean I, I love it. That's what we do. One time I was at one of those little fairs. In fact it wasn't a little one. It was the state fair and there was sort of a side show and the sideshow show had a, a carnival worker there and I knew his job was to do nothing more than to make money. But he was a barker. That's what they call him and he was just Hurry, hurry, step right up. Step right up. He was just calling out to people. There's something here that's so amazing, so astounding. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime thing for you to see. You need to come and see this great thing. And they had a whole row of great things. And for about two bucks each, you could see those great things. They were you know, Sword swallowing man and fire breathing man and bearded lady and a two headed cow and all kinds of stuff And none of those things really interested me that much There were just all kinds of bizarre oddities But there was one trailer that piqued my 10 or 11 year old curiosity as we walked by there He said you must see this and the side of the trailer was painted It said that they had there on site an alien Martian I mean, it's like they've got E.T. in a box right back there. And you could drop your $2 in, and you could follow the crowd and walk around in sort of a circle. You went up the steps, and you could peer in and see it. Well, curiosity got the best of me, and I had $2, so here it goes. I gave my $2, and I walked right up those stairs and through the line, and I waited patiently, and I saw the biggest hoax I'd ever seen in my life. It was the worst Hollywood prop you've ever seen. It was just a big plastic uh, ugly thing looking up at you, I mean there was just nothing to it. My two dollars was long gone. They shuffled you on through, and another barker called out for you to see something else amazing. It was a hoax, a joke. My two bucks gone but i want to I want you to hear this for me, it was better to check it out for myself and to look at the facts and to see with my own eyes and discover if it was true or not. Than to walk away and not know if it was really true. That brings me to Thomas in the Bible. Some people have looked at Thomas and they've said all kinds of things about him being this doubting man. I look at Thomas and I don't fault him for wanting to see for himself. I don't know about you but I would bet there's a whole bunch of people in this room that want proof. You want the facts. I spent over three hours one night this past week. Almost four o'clock in the morning it went to a discussion back and forth on Facebook with an atheist that lives across the country. I'd made a comment on something that somebody had said about the Bible. And I said something about the resurrection and he called me ignorantly blissful. He said, your bliss must be wonderful in your ignorant life. And I said, well... In my heart, in my mind, if I'm wrong, then I've really done no great disservice to this world. I've tried to love people and to give. I've tried to help people and not hurt them. I've tried to speak kindly and gently. I've tried to do the things that Jesus said to do. And if Jesus is not alive and there is no hope for life after this life, then I've really not lost out on anything. But if that guy's wrong, he's missed it all. And we spent almost three hours back and forth in dialogue. And I was pleading with him to look at the facts for himself. And so that's what I'm trying to ask of you this morning. Don't just think of this as as a blind faith. You understand that people all over the world are celebrating the fact that the tomb is empty. Something happened almost 2,000 years ago and it's undeniable that you must look back at the facts to see did it really happen? Was there something there? Either it was the greatest event in history or the greatest hoax. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather see for myself. And so for all of us this morning, why don't we just peer in together and contemplate, consider. This isn't some apologetics class. I'm not trying to talk to you about defending the faith. And I'm not going line by line through all of the reasons why we should believe that the tomb is empty. I think that it stands On its own merit though, if you begin to look at the claims of Christ and the claims of the followers of Christ and the historical events, you will see that the resurrection did happen. Jesus is in fact who he said and who he says he is and he is coming back again and he is the hope of the world. We celebrate that today and as we look at it through the eyes of Thomas, I want us to see together that Thomas was one who had to see for himself. Now, let's recount, if you will, the the story. Jesus was condemned and crucified on Friday, the week of Passover. He hung on the cross for some six hours, and he died that afternoon after saying with a loud voice, It is finished. They took his body off of the cross and they began to prepare his body for burial. He he was given a borrowed tomb by a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a, a very wealthy man, and they started the preparation. Preparation of a body then was different than now. They didn't embalm bodies. They would wrap them in these grave clothes, if you will, and they would put uh, on the body all kinds of various uh, spices and, and fragrances so that the bodies in the tombs would not, as they decayed, be offensive all around. They would just prepare the bodies. Well it was the Passover we know that and because it was arriving toward the Sabbath time they could not complete the burial process on Friday. So they did what they could with intent to come back on Sunday after the the Sabbath and to finish the process of the body being prepared. We know that when they went to the tomb that early Sunday morning, Jesus appeared to one of the Marys. We know that the stone had been rolled away, and there she met him, and there she understood that he was actually alive. She burst back in, as we've heard so wonderfully portrayed in song, that she came to the disciples and shared that message with them. They ran to the tomb. Peter runs into the tomb. God shows himself, Jesus shows himself to Peter And we know that the appearances from that point forward began to increase in number and in numbers. He appeared first to Mary and then to the other Mary and then to Peter. And then we see him appearing to two men on the road to Emmaus. And then the disciples who are confused and scared and fearful and hopeful are locked inside this room. And all of a sudden Jesus appears in their midst. He's there with them. And as he comes to them, he says to them, peace be with you. Because that's what you say to somebody who is scared out of their tunic. I mean, peace be with you. They're frightened that Roman soldiers are coming after them. And Jesus appears. They touch the the scars there, there in his hands, in his side, in his feet. They see them. They communicate with Him. They know that He is alive. And we know with great confidence that each of their lives were radically changed, that they were willing to die, not for some lie, not for some elaborate conspiracy of a stolen body. They were willing to go to death because they said, you can kill me, I've seen Him. You can kill me, I've talked to Him. You can try to discredit this message, but I know for a fact it is real. The church grew with exponential growth, explosive growth, because of that simple phrase, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen. And when they discovered him being where he was, that he was now alive, they ran to others and they caught Thomas and they caught up with Thomas. In fact, we know that at this first appearance, Thomas was not with them. We can't read too far in between the lines of the text of Scripture. But I I think it's interesting to think about Thomas. I don't know if it was just despair or fear. But Thomas was not with them. Alone. In isolation. Perhaps hiding. And they find Thomas and they say to Thomas, We have seen him. We have touched him. We have talked to him. Thomas, he's alive. That brings us to our text. If you'll look with me in John chapter 20. I've recounted the story, so let's move down a little ways in the story. Start in verse 19. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Having said this, he showed his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Look at verse 24. Here's where we pick up Thomas's next chapter of of the story if you will but one of the twelve Thomas called Didymus or twin was not with them when Jesus came so the other disciples kept telling him we have seen the Lord but he said to them if I don't see the mark of the nails on his hands put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side I will never believe after eight days his disciples were indoors again so a week later Thomas now with them Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever. No longer walk in unbelief, but believe. In verse 28, what a powerful statement. Thomas responded, my Lord. And my God, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the honesty of Scripture. I thank you for the honesty of the disciples who acted as we often act in fear, in self preservation. God, I pray that this morning we would look to the facts, we would look together at the truth of the resurrection, and we would see even through Thomas's skepticism, and his ultimate faith. Great lessons that we can learn this resurrection Sunday morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, I want to share with you three things that Thomas missed. Now we know that Thomas came to it, but I don't want you to miss these. I want you to see three things that Thomas missed. Number one, Jesus had already predicted and promised That he would rise Let me say that again Jesus had already predicted And promised that he would rise Thomas missed that All throughout Jesus' ministry With his disciples He declared that truth The Son of Man must suffer many things He will be handed over and persecuted And he will die And on the third day he will rise Uh, He said uh, about the temple If you destroy this temple In three days I'll build it back up He said As Jonah was in the belly of the whale, in fact, if I was going to just give you some places there, Matthew 12, you don't have to turn there. The disciples said, Lord, give us a sign. And he said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man shall be in the earth. There was a great foreshadowing in Jonah that Jesus would be the one who would die and be buried and on the third day rise again. He predicted that. I want you to hear this. Predictive prophecy is one of the toughest things for a skeptic to get around. It's a hurdle they have to struggle with. In real time, hundreds of years before, there was a prediction of a promise of a a Messiah, a Savior, a coming one that would come and redeem the world. There was a beautiful picture in Isaiah of one who would come and the government would rest upon his shoulders and he would be a suffering servant. And although the disciples longed for a political leader who would guide them and who would lead them to overthrow Rome and to establish a kingdom on earth, they missed the point of all that had been said about Jesus. But Jesus himself had promised and predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. And in doing so, it's important for us to think, Thomas just missed that. Mark chapter 8, the Son of Man will be rejected, suffer many things, and will be killed. Was he, let me just ask you, well, let's do an Easter quiz this morning. Was he rejected by the elders and the chief priests? Some of you did not answer on that test, and if you do not answer, it will be marked incorrectly. Let's try that test again. Was he rejected by the elders and the chief priests? Did he suffer? Was he killed? So why is there doubt that he would be raised? He said, I will suffer, I will be rejected, I will be killed, I will rise. Why is it that they were so hung up at that point? They didn't understand the concept of of resurrection. They didn't understand the power that Jesus had. And now they're in a place where they're so fearful of everything that is around them. But here's what's interesting. It was so understood by so many that he had predicted he would rise. In fact, it was so understood by the crowd, the religious leaders, and, and other followers, even those who didn't believe. How do we know that? It was so widely taught that they said, you better get someone to seal this grave. You better get some guards on this place. Why? Because the rumors are that he's going to rise from the dead and we don't want his followers stealing the body. I mean, it was that widely known that he had predicted it was going to happen. And if you think about that, all of the different scenarios, this is where it gets really, really fun because there are some pretty strong evidences well, the Romans wouldn't want to steal the body, would they? No, why would they want to support such a revolution? Well, the Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus dead, all they had to do was produce a body. And you would think that if Jesus' body had been stolen, they would have done everything within their power to have that body discovered and produced so that we can say, let's put this nonsense to an end once and for all. They didn't do that, did they? That's question number four on the quiz. Okay, we're working on this, folks. They didn't produce a body. Why? Because the body had not been stolen. He had been raised. His disciples certainly weren't the type that would have forced their way on a cohort of Roman soldiers, burst through, moved the stone, stolen the body, and then kept it all a secret. Somebody somewhere would have squealed. You start putting enhanced interrogation on those guys and say, okay, what'd you do with the body? They said, I'll tell you what I did. I shook his hand and I touched the nail scars in his hand. I talked to him. We spent time together. That's what I did with the body. What are you looking for? We want you to show us the body. He said, well, he'll have to show you himself because he's alive. It was widely known, but Thomas missed that. Somehow along the way, Thomas missed the idea. Maybe, just maybe, maybe. He'd simply looked past that promise. Maybe, just maybe, the difference between the early church and Hardy Street Baptist Church or any other church of this day is that they were thoroughly convinced that Jesus is alive. Maybe there's a message for us in that. Maybe we've missed. That Jesus promised and predicted that he would suffer and he would be killed, but that he would rise again. Number two, I want you to see this. Jesus had already proven his power over death. Jesus had already proven his power over death. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you like do-it-yourself type shows on television? Anybody like those? Anybody kind of the fixer-upper type? I, I just like those. I'm intrigued by those. It's fascinated. I I really am. Uh, If you've seen our centers back here, we've got slat wall everywhere. There's a little slat wall that holds all these acrylic holders. And I've had people say, Joanna Gaines likes shiplap and you like slat wall. I mean, that's just kind of been the thing for me. I put it everywhere. I like that stuff. Let's just suppose for a minute you're going to renovate your kitchen. You got motivated and inspired and you've seen these things. And you call somebody to your house and he's going to give you an estimate and do the work. And you say to him, so what is your specialty? Are you a carpenter? And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not a carpenter. Carpentry's kind of dangerous. Those saws, you might lose a finger. You know, that's kind of scary. I don't do carpentry. Oh, okay, well, you might, maybe you're a plumber. And he goes, no, plumbing's kind of rough. You could flood somebody's house, and you got to have a license for that. I mean, I don't have any of that stuff. I'm not a plumber. Okay, well, certainly, you, you must be an electrician, right? Mm-mm, scared to death of that stuff. Don't want to touch anything electric. Okay, maybe you're the appliance guy. How about that? You install appliances. Oh, those are heavy. you will hurt your back. So you've gone down the list, and he says, Well, I don't really do any of those things, but if you'll hush and get out of my way, I'll start measuring and get some estimates together for you. Would you hire that guy? Some of you are thinking, You know, I think I hired that guy a couple of years ago to work on a project of (laughs) mine. There was no portfolio of expertise in Carpentry or in plumbing Or in laying tile Or installing cabinets Why would you hurt that guy? Why would you hire that guy? Past performance has not proven anything About what he could do But what about Jesus portfolio of power? Jesus is walking through the city, and he comes to the gate at a town called Nain, and there's a widow there, a mom there, and she is there with her son, and she is grieving because she's taking her son to his final resting place. It's a funeral, and Jesus rounds the corner and meets the funeral procession, and he says to that young boy, get up. Now, if you're not the son of God with the power of resurrection in your life, you look pretty dumb at a funeral saying, get up. But Jesus said, get up. And that's not the only place. Jesus is approached by a man named Jairus, a temple official, and he says, my daughter is sick, can you go? And Jesus leisurely goes. He starts on his way toward and stops for a lady who has an issue of blood, and he deals with her and talks to her. And he gets there, and they say, well, Jesus, it's too late, she's dead. And he said, she's not dead, she sleeps. And they said, no, she's dead, we understand, we watch, she's died. And Jesus goes into the room and there with the little girl and what does he say to her? Get up. In John chapter 11, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. And he stays where he is and they come with full report that Lazarus has died. And Martha even comes to him and says, Jesus, if you had only been here, And Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because he knew he had the power to do what he was about to do. And he walks forth to the grave, and he says, I'm going to raise him. Open the stone, or move the stone, open the grave. And they said, you can't do that. He's been in there four days. In the King James by now, he stinketh. You don't want to do that. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. I cannot say those words without repeating the oldest preacher line in the world, but I've heard it said time and time again, had Jesus not called Lazarus by name, every dead man in that graveyard would have risen and walked. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. He had a proven track record. Now the stock market gives you a great disclaimer. It says past performance is not an indicator of future result. But that's not true with Jesus. Past performance is a perfect guarantee of his power to raise himself from the dead and to raise you and me from death to life. Jesus had already proven his power over death. He had promised and predicted his ability. What a powerful thing. Jesus had a a portfolio of power. In Acts 2, 24, it says this, death couldn't hold him. That's the Hanbury translation. Go back and look it up. Luke just wrote, death could not hold him. In essence, Luke would say this, and so would the disciples. You can kill his body. You can wrap it up. You can put it in a tomb. You can seal it, but don't buy a headstone. That'll be a waste of your money. The tomb is empty, no bones about it. And Thomas had not put all that together. He had somehow missed the promise. He somehow had missed the power. Thirdly, I want you to see this. Thomas missed that Jesus had personally appeared to people. He had personally appeared to people. If you go back and look at the biblical record, he appeared to Mary. And then the other Mary, he appeared to Peter, the two men on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to the disciples without Thomas. A week later, to the disciples with Thomas. And the Bible says that he appeared on the shoreline with about eight of the disciples a little later. And a little farther into the New Testament, it says he appeared to over 500 people. Some have said they were hallucinating Can you imagine 500 people all in that spread out of a geographic area all having the same hallucination for that amount of time? Ludicrous. Some have said, well, he didn't die. He just swooned. He just fainted. If we had time to go through all of those evidences, you cannot possibly tell me that a man who was beaten beyond recognition and hung on a cross for six hours, pronounced dead by a professional executioner, laid in a cold, dark, damp tomb that was sealed with Roman guards on top of it, found his way out of those grave clothes, wrapped them back up as they had been, nice and neat and, and very, very cordial of him to do so, left them there, fought his way through the stone, through the soldiers, and was never to be discovered again by the religious leaders or the Romans who hated him and wanted him dead. That takes faith. A lot more faith to try to put all that nonsense together than just to take him at his word. He promised and predicted with great power a proven track record, I will Rise and he is risen today. Let's just try that one more time. He is risen, he is risen indeed. indeed, he is risen. You know, some people I, I want to just finish up by thinking about this encounter of Thomas's. He missed those things, but he came full circle round. Some people think that doubt is a great slight against God. I, I want to tell you this morning the God of the universe can handle your doubts. Jesus didn't write Thomas off. Jesus didn't say, well, you don't believe in me, I'm done with you. Here we are this week later, verses 26 and 27, bring us to the encounter with Thomas. Eight days after his disciples were indoors again, Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood to them with, among them and said, peace to you. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever. Believe. Jesus says to him, you are blessed because you have seen and believed. Your skepticism and doubt have been taken away. But he goes on one verse past what we read in our text and says, blessed are they who never see and believe. He's talking about us. He's talking about us that would believe the report from a distance and still say, yes, that is truth. And many around the world, millions in fact, their lives have been totally transformed, giving up wealth and comfort and family and all kinds of things just to say, everything I give is worth nothing in comparison to all that I gain in Christ because He's risen. 2,000 years later, church, we have a reason to believe. There's evidence that really does demand a verdict. And I want you to search it out for yourself. Maybe you came in this place today and you're here because mom or grandma or someone put some pressure. Maybe your wife said, you know, we really need to have the kids at a church. And maybe you were driving by and just pulled in. I don't know the circumstances of why you're here, but I'm glad that you're here. But I hope that you will take this far more than just a religious exercise. You see, I, like Thomas, missed all of it for the first 17 years of my life. Religious as I could be. But I came to a place where someone spoke into my life and I'm so thankful for him. Speaking into my life, you must be born again. He was a pastor and he spoke very clearly to me. You're a sinner. And I said, well, thanks a lot, ex-friend. You know, who are you to tell me I'm a sinner? But he told me the truth. And the truth was I was a sinner and I am a sinner. But I'm a redeemed sinner now because Jesus paid it all. And today, you have a reason to believe. Jesus Christ shed his blood and died on a cross for you and for me. That secured victory over death. But his ultimate resurrection, three days later, gives for us hope that he can raise us too. This morning, if you're separated from God, if you're doubting and skeptical, you can believe, you can learn from a man like Thomas. Uh, One last thing. It's not lost on me. I said it before. It's it's sort of an unfortunate moniker. Thomas, the doubting one. In John chapter 11, when Jesus is going to go and heal Lazarus, when he's going to raise him, they said, Jesus, last time we were there, didn't they try to stone you? And who steps up and says, I'll go with you? Thomas. Go back and you can read it. In fact, Thomas says, well, if we're going to go there and die, let's go. That doesn't sound too doubtful to me. You know what I see as the common denominator? When Thomas was with Jesus physically, his faith was strong. Misguided maybe, let's just go die. When he was separated for a time from Jesus, his world fell apart. When he was with Jesus again, we see my Lord and my God. Maybe your life is falling apart or crumbling or just unraveling or just unsatisfying because Jesus is not in the equation, and you need to find yourself connected with him. Thomas found great hope and strength with Jesus. So today, you can be saved. You can trust him. And I know that you got all dressed up, and you came to this place, and you probably got plans to take pictures or plans to eat some wonderful lunch, and you got family plans, and you said, well, I'll respond later. When Thomas encountered the risen Christ, he said, there is no later, there is right now. My Lord, my God. I love the sequence of the events. As soon as he came to the place where he was, he said, Jesus is real, Jesus is life, he is alive. My Lord, my God, he trusted him. Trust Jesus today. Members of our staff will be here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn of dedication, a time of decision. We would ask everyone to stand with us as we sing. And you allow God to work in your heart. Whatever it is that He's put on your heart. Let's all stand together. Perhaps you need to unite with this church family. We would love for you to be a part of this church. Perhaps you need to be saved. Today the tomb is empty. No bones about it. And Jesus stands ready, willing, and able to save you from your condition. Let's pray and we'll sing. Father, use this time for your glory. Let people respond to you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.